thrilled to have the institutional fundraising platform Instrumental join us as a multi-episode sponsor in season five. Instrumental CEO Gary Monglick has created a mini series of grant tips to help you be more efficient and strategic in your grant seeking. Listen in on today's tidbit. How do you know if a grant is a good fit? There are three things at a very high level that you want to look at to understand if a grant is a good fit. The first is mission alignment, uh, which you can uh, understand from a variety of different ways. You want to first check the website if there is one to get a sense of their priority areas, the, the mission of the funder. And the second way that you can understand mission alignment, if it's a private funder, is by looking at their 990s and in particular looking at their past grantees and to see if you're in line with who they have funded in the past. The second uh, way you'll know if a, if a grant is worth pursuing is based on looking at your, your potential relationship or connection to them. Are they part of your community? Is there someone there you can connect with? Is there somebody, uh, you know, past grantee that they've awarded in the past that you have a relationship to? Is there some way that you can connect with them? And the third is your own internal strategy alignment. Um, do you have the internal capacity to go after this grant? Does the amount and the ROI in terms of how long it's going to take make sense? Do you meet all the requirements to be able to meet the reporting requirements and build a long-term successful relationship. To find out more, check out instrumental.com. Use coupon code HEYDAY50 for $50 off the first month of Instrumental. That's I-N-S-T-R-U-M-E-N-T-L.com. Well, hello there. I'm Kimberly Hayes Day Muga. And I'm Amanda Day. And you're listening to season five of the Fundraising Heyday Podcast. And you know what, y'all? We're here to help you make sense of the complex world of grant writing and fundraising, whether you work for a nonprofit, local government, or a consultant who serves them. On Fundraising Heyday, we will cover the how-tos, don't worry about that, but we also want to explore the whys of things, including poking the bear of inequity that roams the world of philanthropy. Dun, dun, dun. As always, we're doing this every two weeks with the help of experts in the field and Kimberly and my own particular brand of entertainment, which may include songs and sound effects like you just heard and the occasional <laughs> y'all, because learning doesn't have to be boring. So let's jump into today's topic. Pew! This podcast is brought to you by our season five sponsor, D.H. Leonard Consulting and Grant Writing Services. Don't let grants stress you out. Their team can help you with grant readiness and training, grant research, grant writing, mock review, as well as providing numerous DIY resources, guides, and templates. Did you know that with every Fundraising Heyday episode, we create a coordinating blog post on their website, dhleonardconsulting.com. Check it out today. So we are not easing in to season five gently. Nope. No, ma'am. Nope. Nope. This episode is the first of two where we are going to explore the why of grant writing. Today, we're going to call out what is and is not working. Um, about grant making. Mainly what isn't working, if you've never met us before, that's where we're <laughs> going to go first. Yeah. Spoiler alert, if you can't already tell, we are feeling some kind of way about many traditions and trends that affect grant writers. But more importantly, it affects the communities that are supposed to be served by grant making in general. 
Oh, come, let me sing you the song of my people. <laughs> because the why of grants is too often silent. So we're using why like who, what, when, where, why, and how, and also making a little play for the why in grants is silent because we know that grants, the word isn't spelled with a Y, but we just wanted to say that. And so you don't need to come at us in any kind of comments when y'all don't know how to spell. That may or may not be true, but we're real, we're real clear on how the word grants is spelled. Yeah. So we're just playing around with it. I have actually been asking why, W-H-Y, all my life, or at least since I was able to speak, and I'm sure that my parents and teachers and babysitters were just so excited to be dealing with the human question mark every day, but it just seems to be the way I am wired. My lovely and talented co-host, however, comes at this topic in a slightly different way. Right, Amanda? Yeah, I'm more hardwired to be a rule follower, which was a very helpful character trait when I first began writing and managing grants. Yep. Um, following everything from page limits and character counts to specific forms and how to put all those pesky attachments in the right order that the funder demands. Um, who to contact, and of course, getting everything in by the deadline. So, in fact, successful grant writing has been my career for 20 years now, but even though I'm a rule follower, I have always found myself questioning the need for all the things most larger grant proposals require, and then reaching out to other grant writers and hearing they felt the same way. So even though I was doing it because I knew I had to do it, it was still like, really? Is this necessary? And the older I get, the more I realize I need to start saying this out loud and not just to one or two people. So here we are. Yeah, you knew how to do it and you were good at doing it, but why did you have to do it? I'm just saying. I would actually say this is probably one of the first things we ever talked about when we had lunch together. Or, probably. You know, is and I think it's a pretty common thing. Grant writers is like, oh, I have to do a federal grant. Do they really need 3,000 copies in blue ink of blah, 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 blah. <laughs> this application had 20 attachments and they had to be separated by construction paper in different colors and in color coordinated binders. I'm saying that one because it is true. Yes, and don't staple it, but paperclip it, but only in the upper left-hand corner. Yeah. We've got a lot of feelings <laughs> and a lot of experience. And oddly enough, particularly in the private sector, there are still many more foundations than you might think that only accept paper applications. So we want to honor the fact that that the federal government has made enormous strides yes. um, in oh, eliminating yes. paper, but it and is thank you. not, and, and we thank you, but it has not been eliminated across the sector. I would also say that I've never met a grant writer who really loved the whole process. And I'm not saying you have to love every aspect of your job. That's not what I'm saying, but a great deal of it should actually be pleasurable to you if you can possibly handle it because that just makes life sweeter. But I would say that I've never met anyone who is involved with grant proposal preparation that was like, this all makes sense. I am at peace with this. This all is something that I feel um, important, that it's an important part of the process. And the, these people who were like Amanda and I going, I don't know, you know, doing that sort of weird fake Swedish groaning noise that I seem to <laughs> do a lot of these days. Um, these were folks generally from medium to larger nonprofits and local governments of equal size with enough resources um, and, and um, that were actually able to hire grant writers, 
right? This is not um, the smaller organizations that would just struggle pulling resources away from direct services in other areas just to turn uh, the grant in, which leads us to the very first why of grant writing. Amanda, would you like to start us off? I'd love to. Mm -hmm. So we're going to start off with number one, talking about why are grants so darn complicated? Why? <sighs> yeah. So what's interesting to me is that complex proposals are not always clearly co correlated with the most money. No, no, there's not Which a direct is, relationship. I mean, there is sometimes. Certainly, I know plenty of people that do large Georgia, or not Georgia, but Department of Education grants for K-12 school systems fair, and they're 200 pages. They're doing race to the top. They're doing yeah, yeah, 21st yeah. century. They're yeah, doing, yeah. yes, they big federal grant proposals can mean a lot of money. But I've also done small county level grant proposals. Ooh, I that know which rival, county. I know which county you're talking about. There's a couple about. of them down here. Actually, that's true. <laughs> that... The amount it's like a huge federal grant proposal, but if you're lucky, you might get fifteen thousand dollars from them. Okay, and again, I'm not belittling fifteen thousand dollars because it has helped me run many a program that needed that size of a grant. But it it can be very annoying on one end of the spectrum. It could also be very difficult. I mean, again, they were lucky. They were I, able to they hire were able to someone hire. to help them. Yes. A full-time person who had the time. Most agencies that are submitting these things already had a full-time job, and now they've got to stop what they're doing for practically a month to put this stuff together. It's kind of crazy. Um, then there's the repetitious questions that just keep, you know, I'm like, didn't they already ask this three other ways? On page four. <laughs> you know, I enjoy watching and reading good murder mysteries, right? <laughs> yes. And yeah, sometimes it's like some sort of having, fortunately, I've never been in this position to be interrogated. Um, and I, I hope to live out my life um, without experience it. So I'm only speaking of um, fictional situations. But there's, and a lot of these uh, police procedurals or in a lot of these de detective fiction, private or otherwise, there's always this interrogation process where they are asking the same question in different ways just to see if the potential, yeah, they can trip up the potential, um, the suspect. And I just don't think that kind of approach needs to be in a grant proposal. You know what? <laughs> just tell me, ask me about the org history once and ask me about the program once and we're good, right? Yeah. It's like on the night of December the 14th, what was your program like then? I'm like the same. Dun, dun. As <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I felt a law and order moment coming dun, dun. The same as it was on December 15th, sir. I mean, it's just, I, I, I don't, I don't know, maybe it was sort of the more is more concept of we want as much information as possible, but I think it's come at a, seriously though, I think it's come at a great cost. Yeah. Well, and then just the documents that they want. And trust me, I get from a perspective of, hey, these are taxpayers' dollars. We want to make sure it's going to eligible organizations. I get that. But I'm also like, is there not a simpler way? Like, if I'm applying to the same agency 12 times, is there not a portal somewhere I can put all of my standard documents yeah. and maybe update them every once a year? But why? Because I've applied to you four times this year. I'm four times giving you copies of our budget, our audit, our... 990. Now, 990, our this, our that. Now, I do get... Um, there is a portal for your, if you have a single audit, 
for the federal government. There is a portal oh, nice. where it's supposed to be added, That's but good. funders still ask for it, even though there is a place they can go and look it up for themselves, right? So yeah. there's got to be a better way because the amount of time, I and now this is going back a few years. We need to go back in time. <laughs> Kimberly loves that. Back when it was the paper method of submitting documents and they'd want 12 copies of everything and they'd want it in a certain order. I vividly remember the day before I would plan to submit the document or go to the post office mm -hmm. and mail it in, I would make sure that I would free up that day. And I literally, we had a conference room that I oh, would yeah. reserve. Table, table. And I would have my 12, 10 copies of everything and I would slowly, okay, cover page goes first. Put all those upside down on the table, all 12 of them in a row. Okay, this goes next. And then I'd sit and flip them back over and I'd go through them one by one and make sure they were in the right order, right? To make sure I didn't, because I've heard of funders that like, oh, you put your budget before you put this oh, yeah. and you didn't follow the rules. I I remember sitting at a table doing that sort of thing. And even though now it's not the paper version, you still have to attach all this stuff. So now I'm spending my time, did I attach the right document to the right place? And did I attach everything that I was supposed to? And did I... It's just, it's a lot. And again, it's its what has kept Kimberly and I employed because we know how to do this, but it is not beneficial to organizations that truly need the money because they can truly help people in need, but they just don't have the funding available or the staff to take care of things like this. You're kind of almost cutting them out from the get-go, even though you they are may totally, be- You are completely and totally cutting them out from the yeah. get-go. And these are more often than not grassroots organizations led by people of color. Yes. And they are not even able to participate and do that because there's not enough resources to do all this kind of thing. That's just straight up what happens. Yep. Um, another complication is the tech portals. Well, I fully appreciate the things that are online these days because I'm still dealing with family foundations they, where you they have to want mail they stuff. Want and let me tell you how not fun that is. I, I'll take a tech portal any day, but but when it doesn't work right, okay? And I'll get that sometimes a complication could be on my end. You know, my, my maybe my internet's not working and that's my own fault. But I'm talking about when the portal doesn't move very quickly, when it kicks you off because maybe they're, they can only handle so many people being on the system. Another complication that a lot of us gripe about is how if it's one of those that has multiple pages and I can't even see page two till I finish page one, so I have no idea. Don't do that. How many questions they're asking, how much more work I have to do. And so what most of us do then is we put in garbledygook, right, to get to the next page. Now my biggest fear is, oh my gosh, did I go back and get rid of all of those? Usually I write, I type in test is all I type into a, a, a or thing. Or I've set up dummy accounts, um, uh -huh. and um, which is also not a great practice, to go in and get all this information. So Amanda and I may be spending several minutes or 10 or 20 or 30 minutes trying to navigate through these kinds of things. And we're actually being paid to do that. I feel like I should get paid for my expertise and making those connections and helping uh, helping agencies tell their story to foundations rather and coaching people through the process. You you don't need to pay me to be some sort of like like IT detective to get around faulty portals. I mean it's just yeah. It's um I think again I think it comes down to well, sometimes well-meaning, but not well thought out kinds of things yes. that place an inordinate burden on the grantees who are 
just trying to get their work done. And who also, the foundations actually exist to dispense money to nonprofits. I know that there are all sorts of loopholes and I'm not gonna froth about that now, about how they can actually pay for their own expensive offices with their little Coca-Cola fountains. Not that I'm bitter, I'm just saying it can happen. Um, but yeah, that, that again, you're cutting out folks who are doing amazing, important work who just can't step up and, or if they do step up and do that, it's at the expense of the, of the communities that they're serving because the work that, that work doesn't get done because they're too busy trying to finagle their way around a faulty portal. Absolutely. So, um, and it's just, again, it's, it's a lot and yep. it's complicated and yep. it's difficult and it's time consuming and it's hard. And I'm not saying grants should just be, everybody can just show up and get, you know, a million dollars to do whatever they want with it. I understand. Ooh. Or one of those like booths, you know, in those some, somewhat sometimes shady businesses that I want, they'll, they'll be like, come in for an estimate and we'll let you stand in the money booth. Oh yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. Grab it. yeah. Just stand in there and grab it. That's not what we're suggesting. No. There needs to be a process. Although that might be kind of fun in a weird, weird, <laughs> sick way. Well, and there should be a process. And we get that there needs to be documentation and, and answers to questions. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. But let's not make it any more complicated than it actually has to be. And there are some very small things that I think funders can do to start turning around. Simple as, hey, if you've got one of those portals that you have to fill everything out, why not just do a PDF of the whole application so people can download it and look at it and prepare and ahead of time? Trust me, you'll get better proposals. It's a win-win. And we'd also like to honor those foundations that have bravely stepped forward and have done that. We really appreciate you, but not all of your brethren are in on your magnificent game. This is true. So, and I feel like, you know, last episode we had a few references to... Um, Lord of the Rings. Oh, I don't even know why I go off on these tangents. I, I, know, just, but I just love Amanda here. for allowing me to do it, it. It fits here, though. Like, right? You've got all these, you know, he's got all my his team portal, together. My, <laughs> my portal. portal. <laughs> my portal. He's got the elf and the king and the, the, and the that big dwarfs. Old, what's that big and old the, spider's name? Oh, my goodness, y'all. Anyway. But yeah, but they, I mean, they had this epic team. To, epic to, team. To, but it took three movies and how many? No, it took a lot of books. <laughs> it took a lot of books. The, and and um, the author invented his own language and everything. And people died and people were exhausted. And I mean, they finally got it done. But it was like it was all the cost that it took to make it happen. And a grant application proposal should not, should not feel, feel like, like an ancient quest. It really shouldn't. <laughs> I applaud you, Amanda. No, I yes. just, I agree wholeheartedly. It shouldn't feel like Lord of the Rings. No. Unless it's the part of the Lord of the Rings where they're just getting started out and you found out that the hobbits ate two breakfasts. And I always, I, I, I salute that concept. There you go. Two breakfasts. <laughs> um, I have another why for you. And again, we're talking to this, this episode, we're talking about why, why does it have to be this way? And then, and our next episode, because episodes drop every two weeks, we're going to talk about some solutions and some examples. So again, you got to hold up the issue and make it visible or make it audio in our case. So, and, and hold it up and talk about it. And then you begin to resolve it, but to only stay in the talking about it phase ultimately does not improve the situation. So that's just where we're going with this two-parter. So my next why, oh, this also fits in with that sort of quest, quest. thing. Oh my goodness gracious. Um, so my why, why are most grant-making decisions shrouded in mystery and secrecy? 
I don't know what that sound effect really. That was sort of a mystical call to arms. See, I wish y'all could see her. I almost felt like Kimberly had like gold hoop earrings and her crystal ball in front of her. And she was like Uh. trying to see the winner of the grant proposal. Well, that's what it feels like. I mean, you know, and it's like, and again, but I'll, I will just speak to the pri- the prime my primary experience as a grant writer working for or with nonprofits applying to lots and lots of different kinds of funders. Okay, as a grant writer, I have to and you have to too account for every penny of a budget, every deliverable, answer every question that's on there in the order in which they've asked it, in the font that they requested, in the character count that is provided for you. All the attachments provide uh, bios um, of key staff members. In many cases, provide um, gender, ethnicity, and racial, and age, and other breakdowns for staff, people served, and your board of directors, um, your mission, your vision, your history, your strategic plans, and your timelines. But here's the trick. I have rarely seen private and corporate foundations be as transparent right back with, hey, here's how we make decisions. Hey, this is what it looks like. Here's how much money, they will tell you how much money they gave out in most years, but it's there's, there's a lack of um, transparency around that decision-making process for a lot of private, and corporate foundations, in fact, around the most, yet they ask very, very, very specific information. I'm looking at you, lots of national banks, only you can't see me looking at you because it's a podcast, but I'm looking at you. (laughs) Right through the crystal ball. (laughs) Yeah, I'd agree. Most federal and state proposals um, and funders, they really do a good job of sharing scores. And even if they don't automatically give that to you, you can always call and get that from them. Now that is true. So that is a nice feature. And again, there there are some benefits to being a public agency and, and being government and everything being open and shareable and all that good stuff. So there are benefits to that for sure. But... I'm with you, Kimberly. The more I've been writing private foundations, I really am amazed as how you know anything, right? You, know. just, you just don't. You get a letter, who knows, so many months later that just basically they're standard. It's kind of like, we reviewed so many great and lovely proposals and there were way too many great organizations to fund. Sorry, you weren't one of them. And we're too busy to give you feedback because we don't have enough people to do that. Yeah, I and know. so it's, you know, so then it's kind of like, from my perspective, it's like, well, do we try again next year do we do the exact same thing do we do something totally different do we tweak when there's nobody to call and ask because all you got is a p.o box to mail something in it's it's frustrating there are private foundations that do have that are large enough to have staffs want to honor this and that they they do want to reach out they do want to be proactive and you can build relationships now because it's not everybody that is operating um with this sort of magical quest from the Knights of Templar, Dan Brown kind of Da Vinci Code (laughs) business. But um, a lot of them still do, and I don't understand it. And they're not doing themselves any favors, and they're not doing the people that they purport to serve any favors either by sort of wrapping this sort of a riddle wrapped in a mystery surrounded by a souffle of an enigma or whatever that saying goes. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's, 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 um, it's, uh, 
it's a big why for me. Yeah. Well, because, and I get what you're saying. A lot of them, they don't have staff. So it's just the board that maybe meets so many times a year that they make these decisions. And I have no idea the volume of applications they're getting. So it's not like I can say, well, you're only getting 10. Why can't you give feedback? I don't know. I really don't know. But anything is better than nothing. And so maybe spending some time talking about, okay, what can we do? Because again, ultimately, the more information we can get back, the better proposals you're going to get. And who knows, there may be some organizations out there who could do better work than the ones that you're funding. But unless they get that feedback from you, it's just not going to ever be a relationship that happens. So it is it is a bit of a mystery. I am learning. And the eternal why. Why? Maybe we could do like an echo. Why? 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 Yes. So I've got another one. Next up. I mean, the whys just keep coming, ladies and gents. Why in 2021 do we still need to talk about the lack of diversity, equity, and inclusion in most grant making? I'll tell you why. I can answer this one. Because it's still happening. It's still there. We need to talk about it and talk about it and push for change until the changes happen. Mm -hmm. Some foundations truly have. They have transformed their giving to focus on community-based nonprofits led by people of color doing the work, the hard work. But it's still less than 10% of all grant funding goes to these kinds of agencies. Um, this figure is something that's been discussed a lot um, in community-centric fundraising, an online platform that you might want to check out that talks a lot about DEI and, um, and uh, grant writing and fundraising. And also by um, Edgar Villanueva. He was on season two. Yes. Of um, of our podcast, he wrote a wonderful book, Decolonizing Philanthropy, I'm sorry, Decolonizing Wealth, where he goes into the issues of DEI in philanthropy, not just um, from grant seeking, but grant making and also fundraising in general. Um, the, the issues of DEI, of course, go much, much deeper than funding in this country. I mean, I get that, but without addressing it and this kind of work it's going to be hard to move the needle forward and have truly transformative um work projects progress in communities particularly communities of color um you know what and if and if you are if you're saying to yourself i'm tired of talking about this there's you know i'm pretty sure that um people are tired of living it too so let's just sort of think about keep asking the whys and holding up examples as ways to spur that conversation and just make some good true change yeah you know, and dei is important across all sectors and i can certainly say from the grants profession and fundraising profession as a whole um it's something that is starting to be addressed you know it's not we haven't fixed it. We haven't figured out all the solutions, but I'm happy to say our profession as a whole is working on that. Um, Kimberly and I have both been uh, served on the board of the Grant Professionals Association for the past several years. Um, in the past two years, I've had the privilege and honor of serving as president. Um, and one of the things with our latest strategic plan was to ensure a everything we do through a lens of making sure we're making things equitable and fair and inclusive and involving diversity and all of that good stuff. Um, and so to help make that happen, GPA is working on creating a leadership pipeline mm -hmm. um, to 
we're not quite sure exactly what it's going to look like yet, but I, have, I envision that it's going to be some sorts of training opportunities, some mentoring possibilities. Some ways to help people feel included and invite them into exactly. the profession where they may not have felt included or invited before. Yeah, so, but a, a, a pipeline of leadership not only for you know serving in leadership positions for our organizations but learning how to be a leader within your own organization because mm-hmm. i think kimberly mentioned this on um last uh two weeks ago our episode that dropped talking about how when you know you're sitting in your cube and you really don't not your grant position may not be in a leadership position but by default you have to be because you've got to bring together the finance people and the program people mm-hmm. and you've got to educate and get the buy-in of bosses you you whether you want to be a leader or not, you are one. And so you want to know how to do it and you want to be a, a good one at doing that. And so, that can be especially challenging if you're in a place where maybe you don't look like everyone or sound like absolutely. everyone or walk or talk like everyone else there. And so we just want to do everything we can. And like Amanda said, at least with, I can speak for, for, for GPA and my, my service on that board, it was we need to look at everything we do with that lens and I really don't care if it sounds like a broken record to people at all. It needs to be said and discussed mm-hmm. and implemented over and over and over again. Absolutely. So Oh, I also want to call out um, yeah. the um the um, Association of Fundraising Professionals AFP. They they have a philanthropy 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 fellows program. Say that three times real fast. Um, where and they have different kinds of minority-based scholarships and other kinds of things to encourage people of color to get education they need in fundraising as well. So there are organizations that are doing it, yeah. but we all need to be doing it, and mm-hmm. and grant makers need to be um, doing it and focusing on it as well. Well, and more and more grant makers are starting to ask about the diversity of your nonprofit's board or staff or whatever, which is. I mean, it's not a bad thing, but mm-hmm. don't you want to come right back at him and be like, and what's she the diversity? I, I saw that look. Oh. I knew where she was going. Oh, it's like, yeah, I'm going to give you all my charts, but let me tell you, I'm betting that your family foundation is probably headed up by all old white men. I'll just say that from in the Atlanta area because chances are that's what's happening. And it's like, let me talk. Let me, let me, why don't you sing me the song of your people and tell me about how you're diversifying and reaching out and doing all these things and making these changes. I've got a real, I've got a real chip on my shoulder with that because I I think if you're going to ask rightfully that the money goes to organizations that are taking concrete steps toward um, making positive changes in how they address DEI and social justice, you ought to be looking at your own self in the mirror and sharing that with people because I am kind of, that's back to that crystal ball of mysterious secrecy. It's like, yeah, it shouldn't be like electing the Pope where you wait and they send up those smoke signals, you know, yeah. white, gray, and black. It should be a little more out of me open than that. You know, you've got, I really, I'm not going to do it because I don't want to butcher uh, the song, but uh thinking of man in the mirror <laughs> no no i'm not gonna i, I'm gonna gonna, I can't it, i but... can't pull that out today but i feel you i feel you <laughs> gotta make a change where do you start with the man in the mirror <laughs> <laughs> okay 
okay, we said we weren't going to, and, and then we, we just did. can't help ourselves. And it was, it was spectacularly off-key and beautiful, and we're just, we're just happy to be here and do not sue. But here's the trick. The songs are so unrecognizable the way we do them that I doubt we'll ever get sued for copyright infringement. So let's, let's, let's take oh, part with goodness that. Goodness gracious. Um, so I also wanted to take just a quick minute and, and, and say that because of who I am and where I'm from and, and all the, the blessings and privilege that I've enjoyed throughout my life, I didn't have to even think about these things in the first part of my career and why, you know, because I'm white, because I'm college educated, because I was hired by other white people to work in organizations where the leadership was mainly white with some, some uh, people of color. Um, I, it didn't, it didn't occur to me because I didn't have to think about it. And so another sort of step on the way of, well, if, if things like this didn't occur to you and you didn't have to think about it, you may have been enjoying some privilege. So I just want to hold that up. If you're not sure what white privilege means, I'm like, there's a good example. So I was frustrated by the rules and regs around grants, but it didn't affect me at a deeper level because I could play the game. I could understand what was, you know, I could devote the time rather. Everyone could probably understand what's going on in a grant proposal, but few people had the time to devote to it. I was hired to do that. That's what, you know, and mm -hmm. it was like, I can't imagine what it would be like, although I have a much better picture now, having coached and um, consulted with smaller nonprofits, how to get your work done, but also meet all these demands of, of uh, proof of documentation of lengthy, complicated proposals that you need to get your work done, but then actually take away from getting your work done. And I know many times in the past we have talked about and sung the praises of Vule and his blog, Nonprofit AF. Um, he is much funnier, but also much more incisive in his takedown of this kind of behavior. So I would encourage you to sign up um, for his blog and also um, check out some associated organizations if you're wondering what you can do and how can you speak up in a way to help affect change. So this podcast is one of the ways that I want to do that. This is, um, this is, we, we have a lot of fun, but I feel like for people who are listening, this is just, this is just something I feel strongly about. And I feel like this is some way that I can, um, raise my voice and, and talk about it and keep the conversations going. Yeah. Well, and you don't have to have a podcast to do that, or you don't have to have a blog that's, nope. you know, nope. a huge blog, but you can still write and have things posted places. You can still affect small change within your own organization. You can you participate can talk to in local chapters. I'm going to brag on the Atlanta yeah. chapter of GPA. I am an absent member. I am MIA, but they are plunging ahead with all sorts of outreach to local foundations around equity. Bring we'll tell you more about table. it in two weeks. That's right. That is the solution. So it's, um, that's something that is, that is on the table that I can take absolutely no credit for, but sure do feel proud that it's going on in my home city. Absolutely. So the whys just keep coming and as does the ranting when we get on our soapbox, but this is something worthy of a soapbox rant. If you haven't figured it out by now, this is just <laughs> what we do. And, and you know, if you're new, we do this from time to time. If you've been with us for a while, I think you must like this in some strange way because you keep coming back thank you um so here's my next why why is general operating funding such a difficult thing for why? funders why 
Why? To acknowledge and to support. Why? Because I want to be like, hello, sir, ma'am, where do you work? <laughs> do you have general operating paid for by some way, you know, for your business? Or no, do you, you know, <laughs> you know they do. So why is it so difficult? Um, so oftentimes, uh, if you want federal funding, they're going to call that supplanting, right? If it's something you normally pay for, the Federal grants are and not going to pay for And how many times have we taught that in grant classes? Hey, a grant is to augment, to supplement, it's to something add new. to something. Yep. Because a federal grant, you can't supplant with a federal grant. But why? Why not? Yep. Why can't you get, if you're already doing, if you're a primary health care clinic, yep. it's a, what is it, federally qualified health center, FQHC, forgive me if I've messed up that acronym, and you're doing great work, why can't and you track it and you're accountable and you're a good uh, steward of your money and you help and change people's lives and save their lives? Why can't you keep doing what you're doing? Because you're doing good things. Absolutely. Just seriously. Because yeah. somebody made it a rule Whatever. and nobody wants to change it and it's ridiculous. Oh. Um, private foundations often fund things, not staff. <sighs> Yes, because they want you to change the world. We're going to solve homelessness, but we're going to do it by buying beds and sheets. But that's it. We don't, we don't need people to, I don't know, help in any capacity whatsoever. No, as long as we, we have a building only, they'll say, and beds. We only pay. How many times have I heard it? We only, oh, we only pay for things, not people. Yeah. And, yeah. and I get that we're probably preaching to the choir, choir here, but pass this episode on to a funder. Who knows? Um... What I want to know is who do they think actually does all these things? Where do they think the money is coming from? Oh, I know. And, I think it's the elves in that magic kingdom that we were talking about earlier. Lord, Lord of the Rings. Pretty, I think it's the oh, hobbits. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, this is kind of a little off tangent, but I saw not too long ago on, I can't even remember the name of the funding agency. They had a great union. They're supposed to give away 5% of their assets. They had a tremendous year, had more money, and were trying to figure out the best way to put it back into the community. They didn't want to give larger grants to organizations because they didn't want them to come to expect it. So because we can't always get a million dollars from you, you don't want to give it to us one time, like we can't figure that out. I just, the audacity. Or how about giving the grant and saying, hey, this is a one-time only. Yeah. You know, my parents, before I went, back in the days of yore, um, <laughs> before I started my um, undergraduate work, they were like, we got you. And what a blessing and privilege that was. We've mm -hmm. got you for four years. After that, you're on your own. I got the same speech. Well, I, it, di it did not warp me as an individual. Well, other things may have, but not that. Cause I'm like, yeah, this is a one time only. I am clear if I'm on the eight year plan, Half of that time is on me. If I want to pursue graduate school, which I did, that's on my dime. But I completely understood. I think I think nonprofits are smart enough if someone says, hey, you get a million dollars, but next yeah. year you're not going to do it. But instead of going, they're just going to come to expect it. It's demeaning and condescending and wrong. Yeah. Well, and I mean, if the agency is doing good work and serving people, yeah. why make them... Or serving animals or serving the environment, whatever it is they're serving, right? But why make them continually come up with new programs if the one they have is working? It's working well. It's working. And, you know, I've heard people, well, if it's working, then there wouldn't be this problem. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm growing <laughs> way too much right now. Go ahead, man. Who thinks you can solve homelessness, drug addiction, um, teen pregnancy? I don't even know. Opi opioid epidemic. Yeah. Climate change. 
the whales, who, how are you going to be able to do that in five years? Because if, if there is a way and we're not doing it, who's hiding that well-kept secret? But some of these things, like, you know, Kimberly and I both do work for this local clinic that provides primary care. Until there are people, that, until everybody gets good health insurance that doesn't cost an arm and a leg, there are always going to be people that need health coverage. Guess what? Year after year and, after and year. You don't suddenly stop needing it after, oh, I've had a good health year. I don't need, I don't need a doctor anymore. It's not how it works. So why, why can't you fund programs that are doing good work and serving people who you know, need it? It's <laughs> a lot like saying, well, we the fire department put out 150 fires. That's a lot of fires. So we're just going to close the fire department because that's enough fires. There are not going to be any more fires that happen. I'm just saying that if, if this can help you in an argument around um, um, an ill-fated holiday gathering, you know, with that special uncle <laughs> that comes around, then let it help you in this because that's just nuts. It's just yep. absolutely nuts. <sighs> that means somebody bring me some water. Let me take a sip. <laughs> we're, we're in the home stretch. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's actually not water. It's a it's a it's a really strong tea. So let that you know, drive me. We like our tea. That's right. So got another why, and I know that Amanda has thoughts and feelings on this one too. Allow me to introduce this special little nugget. Why do so many funders think that? contests are oh a great idea for distributing grant funds. Why? 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 Because nonprofits like to play games. These are rhetorical questions, by the way. Because they want to spend their time trying to get people to vote for them instead of actually doing the important work. This practice chaps me to no end. And I'm trying so hard to clean up my language because Amanda's sitting right next to me. And <laughs> Amanda won't even say hell. So I'm trying, I feel like, <laughs> I feel like it's going to make me a better person, but I just hope I don't choke on all the words that I want to say about this practice that I'm not going to do that right now. But again, I will say it favors those who have the time and resources to field social media campaigns that are very specialized on top of everything else they do. Mm -hmm. I mean, and it could sound kind of well-meaning and fun. It could be um, a national chain that, offers to do uh, 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 construction work or provide materials for a nonprofit, but they're only gonna do three. And it's whoever the top three are across the whole country. And, and so it gets them a lot of publicity for doing it, but it pushes these nonprofits to, to scramble and try and get these entries in. And I'm like, there's so many other ways to do it. And also, Again, getting back to the smaller organizations that are doing very localized, very geographically specific or, or, or deep work in certain communities, they are just out in the cold automatically. And they may be the ones that a, a fifteen dollars or $20,000 building supply makeover could uh, maybe allow them to double the amount of people yeah. they serve. It just, it just really bothers me. It fosters that. And Vule talks about this too, the Hunger Games style, the scarcity mindset that we all have to compete for all this funding. And it's like, we no. Yeah. No, that's 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 not the way. And I know that Amanda has had some recent oh, experience in this. Well, I've been but, but you know what? One that came to mind, this has been a little bit ago, but it was when I was still working for the city, it was a 
some sort of pet company. It wasn't PetSmart, but it was some pet-related company that they were giving away three dog parks they were going to come in and build. That's a big deal. That's, a, that's a, an expensive thing. It is expensive. It's a, a need in communities. It's a desire in communities, right? And so we, we didn't have any. We wanted one. So And because it was grant-like they're like amanda you're in charge of this so here i am the way you won was you got the most likes or retweets or votes on facebook so here i am instead of writing grants i'm on facebook begging friends and strangers and everybody under the sun to please go vote every day and vote for this for me remember you can vote every day and you can vote every day and i'm you know at the time, I not that I'm super savvy in social media now, but I'm certainly better than I was 10 years ago. I didn't know what I was doing, and that was not my skill set. Needless to say, we did not win the dog park. Um, not that and I'm also bitter. three across the whole country. Yes. Really giant company that we've clearly identified as not PetSmart, so don't come after us. Yeah, PetSmart. it was not them. I can't but, remember um, the name. I mean, really? Yeah. And I've had, you know, United Way, you do some great work. You really do. You give some money. You do some things. But... Y'all like to do your competitions, and there was a video competition where you had to, within like three minutes, what little nonprofit, first of all, even has the equipment to do videos outside of, so? and they even, not to be fair, they were like, it can be, you can do it on your iPhone, that's fine. Right, the ones who won clearly had the production studios and had the wherewithal. The nonprofit I was helping, I'm pretty sure it was iPhone videos or maybe a small little handheld recorder. And my son, my IT director, we've talked about a few oh, times. Oh, yes, he is a fine IT a, director of the podcast. He is, but he's also a high school student. He clipped it all together. He added names. He did a great job for this, you know, with this free software he was able to get to help me. But that's because they couldn't afford to hire somebody to put together this thing. They just, and I didn't have the skill set. And, you know... What's interesting is only about 10 agencies ended up applying because I'm sure nobody in they the span the of time. two weeks didn't have the time, had the, time the skills, yeah, all those things. And so it's just really, I get that it gets some PR and some juice for you all, but all you're doing is taking away time from good works that other agencies or could be doing. Or you could send out your staffers to do those videos around, the, around there and you would get all kinds of publicity. And if you don't have the time to do that, gosh, then I'm thinking maybe the grantees who are much smaller may not have the time either. Yeah. Just saying. Well, and I, um, we won't call it out because I don't want anybody to get in trouble, but we know a grant writer in the area who they had a funder. What they wanted them to come do is kind of like set up a booth at this thing and whoever got the most votes, they did it outside in oh. July oh. in Atlanta and had them all in the sun with no tents. So for two hours, they got to sit in the blazing sun and beg people to drop their vote in their, their little fishbowl sitting at the table so they could win the next so, prize I mean, money. I guess what we're saying is if you want to change things up in your life um, and do something different instead of traditional grant funding, which, as we have discussed, is fraught with the need for change, maybe look at, you know, uh, a different screensaver or maybe a different <laughs> playlist for work before you start saying, I know, let's have everyone compete under the hot sun for votes for something when that's really, it's it takes away from the missions of people. And frankly, after two years of the pandemic, the people and, and nonprofits and certainly in the medical field and first responding and and emergency funding, they're tired, they're burned out. Let's don't make them jump through extra hoops. Let's just don't. Yeah. Why? Why would you really want to do that if you sat down and really thought it out? Yep. Agreed. So, 
I'd say a little well-meaning ranting has been good for the soul for me today. I do feel better. Thank yeah. you. And I hope that we've helped you blow off a little grant-seeking steam. Um, but making the issues visible is only the first step of pushing for change. So we'd like you to tune in to episode three of this season five, where we're going to share some solutions and best practices for the whys of the grants that we called out today. So until then, please remember that we can be in this together and work with each other for positive change. Just because things have been done a certain way is not a good enough reason to continue doing them that way. Thank you for listening. Your continued support is the reason we are back for season five. Please follow and leave a review of Fundraising Heyday on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. If you are on Spotify, follow and share the show with your friends. It really helps us reach more people who do what we do and like what we do. Thank you again to our season five sponsor, D.H. Leonard Consulting and Grant Writing Services. We so appreciate their support in making grants less stressful. Visit their website at dhleonardconsulting.com to download their latest free resources today. We're so honored you chose to spend time with us today and hope you'll tune in for our next episode. We're wrapping up this two-episode topic by sharing ways to make positive changes in grant-making and grant-seeking. Please join us all year as we're dropping episodes every other Thursday. Bye! Bye, friends! Bye.